Good Tuesday morning. It is a race against time at this hour to help the people of Turkey and Syria. Yes, support pouring in from around the world in the wake of that devastating earthquake. It is February 7th, and this is today. Breaking overnight, powerful new aftershocks as the death toll climbs to more than 5,000 people. Crews sifting through piles of debris in near freezing temperatures in a desperate bid to reach survivors. Search and rescue teams from the U.S. now being deployed. We will have the very latest, including our conversation with a survivor in the midst of those rescue efforts. High stakes. President Biden preparing to deliver his State of the Union address tonight. His first to a divided Congress amid growing challenges both here and overseas. We're live at the White House. New fallout. The U.S. military revealing that spy balloon from China was 200 feet tall as divers worked to recover more debris. We have already been able to learn uh, a fair amount about the capabilities and the tradecraft of this balloon. While a top commander admits other Chinese balloons have gone undetected for years. We'll have the very latest. Pivotal decision. A judge rules evidence of alleged financial crimes can be used at the double murder trial of disgraced South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch, a move the defense was trying to block. Just ahead, a live report from the courthouse on the potential impact on that case. All that plus renaissance? Ticketmaster tries to bounce back as Beyonce pre-sales get underway. I'm so excited. What you need to know if you're trying to get tickets. And opening night. Super Bowl week kicks into high gear. The Chiefs and Eagles coming together for the first and only time before Sunday's big game. But the real star of the night, super mom Donna Kelsey. Today, Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. She does still have to flip the coin during, I, the, during the Super Bowl. We want Mama, Mama Kelsey yeah. right there. Yeah. Best Super Bowl story going, that's uh-huh. for sure. More on that, but we've got to get to this breaking yeah. news out of Turkey and Syria. We've got a clearer picture now of the devastation from those massive earthquakes. Yeah, overnight, the already unfathomable death toll rising even higher now topping 5,000 people. That number, of course, expected to climb. This comes amid a huge global recovery effort now. Nearly 3,000 emergency and health workers from 45 countries headed to the region where crews are battling freezing temperatures and snow, some of it in areas already burdened by war and a refugee crisis. In just a moment, we're going to hear from a resident who's in Syria with a remarkable story of survival to share with us. But first, NBC's Matt Bradley is on the ground in Turkey. Hey, Matt, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. I'm in the city of Adana, which is right near what was the epicenter of this devastating earthquake. And behind me, all of these people, they're among the more than 50,000 Turkish search and rescue workers who are deployed across the country to nightmarish scenes just like this one. This morning, a massive international rescue effort underway in Turkey and Syria in a desperate race against time to find survivors. First responders facing major challenges on the ground, including below freezing temperatures, with snow and rain falling across the sprawling disaster zone. 
In Turkey, dawn shining a harsh light on the destruction after rescue workers spent all night clawing through mountains of rubble. They're calling out, asking for help, says the survivor. How can we rescue them? Nobody has come since this morning. Racing to recover survivors. Speak up, this man yells into the rubble. Help, help, comes the reply. Meanwhile, in Syria, a country already suffering the effects of civil war, a rare rescue for a little girl a day after an earthquake destroyed her home. The rescuers on the ground here are pleading for more help, with some warning they don't have enough resources to handle the disaster. And as the death toll keeps rising, many worry precarious buildings will keep falling. Like yesterday, when structures fell hours after the initial tremors, and massive aftershocks continued throughout the day. This destruction is a daunting challenge for rescue workers, but now, more than a day after the initial tremors, help from around the world is finally arriving. Dozens of countries are sending rescue teams and aid packages. The U.S. is sending two teams, including a 79-person urban rescue unit and these emergency workers from Los Angeles. These men and women and these dogs of the L.A. County Fire Department are really going to go place themselves in harm's way to save lives, to dig people out. Time may be running out, but there are still miracles amidst these ruins. Children, like this one in Turkey, spared a fate that has taken so many others. And guys, the situation across the border in Syria is even worse. That's where they've been facing a continuing civil war that has not ended a worsening economic crisis. And now, one of the worst earthquakes to have ever struck this region. Hoda? Matt Bradley, thank you so much. Joining me now from the devastation near Aleppo, Syria, is teacher, activist, Abdul Kafi Alhamdu. Good morning, Abdul Kafi. Good to see you. Um, just let me know this morning how you and your family are doing. We're okay, guys. We're trying to overcome the difficulty, the shock that we had, had yesterday. In fact, not only back to, you know, having to us, but to having to others people here in North Syria who are suffering because they was there, I mean, I mean, over the rubble for many, many areas, and they saw the atrocities. So it was really difficult for for me to see, like, like these things in front of my eyes. My family are, is trying to recover. I'm trying to recover of what, what I have seen and what I see, in fact, like, in the last 36 hours. Yeah, the images are devastating to watch, watching people with their bare hands trying to lift boulders while they hear their loved ones crying from beneath is devastating. I can't imagine that for you, you were in bed, your daughter had a toothache, she came racing in to see you just before it hit. Tell me about that. In fact, yeah, that's what happened and I was really shocked. That's my daughter woke up at night, I mean, almost in the morning, and just, she told me that I have pain in my, in my tooth. I just, it's it aching. I just told her, come here, lie beside me. And she came. And uh, I, just a few moments, in fact, after that, it began to move around. I mean, like, I felt the tremor, and my daughter directly told me, is that Assad? Is that Putin? Because she knew that they are always the reason of such things. But after it gets longer and stronger, I knew it's not. I told her, no, it seems it's not. 
And in fact, at the beginning, I didn't know what to do, where, where to go with my family. I, we, we tried to go out, but then we know it, it might be dangerous. So there are no rules that we have. The only rule that we might have is you choose your own fate. You, you might do it. You might not. It's your own choice. I choose to stay at home and they survive. Unfortunately, others who have the same choice didn't make it. They died. To think that your daughter thought that that may have been some kind of war bombing when, in fact, it was an earthquake is devastating. I can't imagine the lack of food, the lack of water, the lack of hospital care, the lack of rescuers, people to help to lift up these boulders, to get to the areas where you are. What do you need the most at this point? First of all, I want to describe it. Just then you might understand exactly what we need. In fact, yesterday I was there and in the places of the rubble, in fact, people under the rubble. And we were working hard, in pair hands to try these, to try to take these people out. We were hearing voices from under the rubble. We were hearing people, I mean, screaming messages from under the rubble. And we couldn't make anything for them. Very few equipment was existing, the place to help these people out. And and we couldn't do anything. I was mentally ill. I was really, I couldn't sleep. These cries are in my ears. Till now, they are, I couldn't sleep at night because they are still in my ears. You know, when you know that there are some people a few meters from you and you cannot help, that's too difficult for me and for anyone, in fact. I see many people even, I mean, besides, like trying, I mean, like the, who, who survived the, like the, the earth, earthquake, but nevertheless, they couldn't have any place to go. They didn't have any any humanitarian aid. In fact, no, I didn't. Yeah, we tried to give them whatever we can, but is that enough? Hmm. Look, such catastrophe needs countries. Countries need help. What about already devastated area like Northwest Syria? It's already devastated even before the earthquake. Now it's just what happened. It's devastated double time. That's what happened. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go to all of you there. Uh, we wish you the very best. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, helps on the way, but it, when you're that desperate, you're like, I need it now. Like, I need it right now. And an area of the world that has been so devastated yes. by war. I mean, yeah. he, mm-hmm. you know, they're thinking with the earthquake could be bombs mm-hmm. from above. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll continue to send yes, our well. prayers and help is on the way. The U.S. response mm-hmm. to this earthquake, by the way, is one of the many issues facing the president tonight as he prepares to deliver his State of the Union address. This will be his first in front of a divided Congress. We've got two reports on what you can expect to hear, starting with NBC's chief White House correspondent, Peter Alexander. Peter, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning. White House officials say President Biden will lay out a hopeful and optimistic vision for the country while touting his achievements since taking office. His challenge tonight, whether he can bridge the gap between strong economic news, including the lowest unemployment rate in more than 50 years, and most Americans' belief that the economy is not working for them. President Biden just hours away from his first State of the Union in this new era of divided government. These photos showing his final preparations for what's likely to be his largest TV audience of the year. And despite polls that show most Americans are pessimistic about the direction of the country, the president's expected to say the state of our economy is strong. Jobs are up, wages are up, inflation is down, and COVID no longer controls our lives. 
The president aides say will cast his efforts as responsible in contrast to what he calls extreme and reckless Republicans, with another showdown looming over the debt ceiling and the GOP demanding deep spending cuts. Also hovering over tonight's address, national security concerns raised by the discovery of that Chinese surveillance balloon shot down by the U.S. over the weekend that's fueling fierce Republican criticism. China is infiltrating our culture, our farmland, and our skies because they see us as weak. With President Biden expected to announce a 2024 run soon, his speech is likely to give Americans a glimpse of the re-election message he would run on. But it may be a tough sell. The latest NBC News poll shows two-thirds of voters say they have reservations or are very uncomfortable about the president running again, including Kijawanda Brewer in Charlotte, a single working mother of four who is struggling with rising prices. Do you want to see President Biden run again? You're pausing. <laughs> no. I think we have to get these old guys out. Lawyer Lena Lee has been impressed by the president's leadership and credits him with restoring a calmness to the country. I just feel very confident with how he's run the country. And he's done as much as he can with the cards that he's been dealt. Among tonight's guests in the first lady's box, the parents of Tyree Nichols, Brandon Say, the young man who fought off the Monterey Park shooter. So clearly police reform is going to be another theme tonight. Also in attendance, the artist and AIDS activist Bono. Savannah and Hoda. All right, Peter, thank you. Let's get more on tonight's speech and its potential impact with senior Washington correspondent Hallie Jackson. Hallie, good morning. State of the Union speech, big audience, even yes. in this fractured media environment, big moment for the president. There's policy. There's also politics because, like it or not, the 2024 campaign is on. We are in it, Savannah. It is a big audience, right? 38 million people watched the president deliver that State of the Union speech live last year. That's more than the World Series. It's way fewer than the Super Bowl. But listen, it is a live primetime speech where he'll get to hit these key points. However, you look at the numbers, you generally, as a president, do not get a long-lasting bounce from the State of the Union speech. And if it happens, it is generally not something that is super significant. So will it move the needle? Probably not a time, but it is a chance for him to set the stage for what I think a lot of people anticipate will be a 2024 run, Savannah. And the biggest change will be standing right behind him. Kevin McCarthy, That's the right. House Speaker, Republicans now ascendant, controlling that chamber of Congress. Do you expect the president to reach out a hand. He uh, prides himself on doing things on a bipartisan basis and some of those accomplishments. Do you feel he'll hit that tone tonight or will it be more combative? Uh, this is a president who has run, right, on being somebody who can reach across the aisle. You look at even the meeting that he had with Speaker Kevin McCarthy not too long ago, and both sides were able to come to the table. You have picked up on one of the most interesting optics of the night, which is going to be that Speaker McCarthy seated right behind the president as he delivers a speech. But think about who's in front of the president. For the first time in his presidency, a divided Congress, a Republican-led House, and a House that is already firing up its investigations of him, including, by the way, some key hearings this week in the day and two after the State of the Union speech. You've got hearings, for example, on the president's son, Hunter Biden, the so-called weaponization of federal government. You've got hearings on border security and immigration already happening and investigations into the Biden administration's COVID pandemic response. So there's a lot of dynamics at play, uh, and some of it may not feel quite so friendly for the president. All right, Hallie, thank you. Tuck up, get a little nap. We'll see you later tonight. We've got live coverage of the State of the Union address, 8 Eastern on NBC News Now.
and 9 o'clock, 6 Pacific time, right here on NBC. 7.16. Almost. We touched on the high-stakes showdown with China. Yes. joins us with some of that story. Oh, Savannah, good morning. Good morning to you as well as Navy crews work to recover debris from that suspected surveillance balloon off the coast of South Carolina. Some new details are emerging about its size and other Chinese sky balloons, spy balloons in the skies over the United States. NBC's George Solis is in North Myrtle Beach with the very latest on this. George, good morning to you. Craig, good morning. We're here at the site in North Myrtle Beach where that possible balloon debris was recovered over the weekend. And just this morning, moments ago, we were here as what looked like more military personnel boarding what looked like two small boats also gearing up with scuba gear and heading out toward the Atlantic. This is telling that the search for debris continues this morning. This morning, crews are zeroing in on the wreckage from that Chinese surveillance balloon with the U.S. Navy releasing these new images of the ongoing recovery efforts. The Coast Guard setting up a security zone around the crash site, the size of about 15 football fields. Military divers are using robotic underwater equipment in the ongoing search and recovery operation. All of it as the diplomatic drama intensifies, with China saying it reserves the right to retaliate against the U.S. for shooting down the balloon. We've made it clear to China what we're going to do. They understand our position. We're not going to back off. We did the right thing. It comes as U.S. officials reveal stunning new details about the actual size of that balloon, saying it's as tall as a 20-story building with a payload similar in size to a regional jet weighing more than 2,000 pounds. The administration says its size was a factor in the decision-making process to wait to shoot it down. Meantime, U.S. officials hoping to use the debris to learn more about China's spying abilities. We have already been able to learn uh, a fair amount about the capabilities and the tradecraft of this balloon. Here in South Carolina, authorities are urging the public not to touch or take any debris that might wash ashore. Residents here describing that initial startling scene Saturday when this U.S. military jet shot the balloon down with a missile. I heard a sonic boom. We just saw that when the jet went by, all of a sudden it just was a pop balloon and it started coming down. China continues to insist this was a weather balloon that drifted off course, but a top U.S. military commander is acknowledging that in the past, other Chinese balloon threats have gone undetected in real time and only learned about them afterwards. The Biden administration says at least three during the Trump administration and one under President Biden as well. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we did not detect those threats. Um, and that's a domain awareness gap that we have to figure out. But none of them were in U.S. airspace as long as this one. And the Trump administration denies any knowledge of these past incursions, but the Biden administration is now offering to brief them on what they know. Meanwhile, we are learning why some of these past balloons may have gone undetected in the past. Multiple U.S. officials telling The New York Times that in the past, these balloons may have been identified as classified rather as unidentified aerial phenomenon or UFOs, as we more commonly know them. Likely not the case here. Craig. Wow. Okay. George Solis for us there. George, thank you. All right. 719. First check of the weather with Mr. Roker. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you as well. We're looking at some wet weather stretching from Texas and it'll eventually be making its way into the East Coast. We do have for today a risk, a marginal risk for some severe weather from Corpus Christi up to Huntsville. Tomorrow we ramp that up moving north and east from Lake Charles, New Orleans, all the way up to Evansville. Six million folks. Possibility of tornadoes in that area in yellow. As this front 
produces these showers from New York City all the way down into Texas. Late day storms develop later over the southern plains. Tomorrow, those storms rumble across the Gulf Coast, really start firing up into the mid-Mississippi River Valley and the Ohio River Valley as well. Some places could see upwards of four inches of rain, especially northern Texas, as you get on into southern Illinois. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you. Still ahead, a major ruling at the double murder trial of Alec Murdoch that disgraced lawyers' alleged financial crimes now allowed in as evidence. The very latest in a live report. Plus excitement for the Super Bowl kicking into overdrive tonight. We're going to be live in Arizona with the unforgettable sights and sounds from opening night, including... The special surprise Donna Kelsey brought along uh-huh. for her history-making sons. <laughs> but first, this is Today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you guys catch that? That bright meteor glowing green oh. and lighting up the skies over Little Rock, Arkansas. All <laughs> right, guys. Uh, well, let's get a check of our 730 headlines. Let's get, let's get started with that train derailment emergency in eastern Ohio. Late yesterday, officials conducted a controlled release of toxic chemicals from five of the tanker cars that came off the tracks on Friday. It was a preemptive move done to avoid the possibility of a large-scale explosion at that site. Thousands of residents are still under evacuation orders this morning. No word yet on when they will be able to return home. An important recall to tell you about this morning. More than 400 packaged food items sold on Amtrak in vending machines and in stores are being recalled now because of potential listeria contamination. The FDA says the items all come from a company called Fresh Ideation. The recall includes sandwiches, muffins, fruit cups, and other items sold from January 24th to January 30th. If you want more information, you can check out our website, today.com. Well, if you bought a Powerball ticket in Washington State over the past few days, might be a good time to check that ticket. That is where the winning ticket, worth some $754 million, was sold. So let's take a look at the numbers from last night's drawing. Here they are, 5, 11, 22, 23, 69. The Powerball, 7. If the winner takes the cash option, that is worth a cool... $407 million. By the way, in addition to the jackpot, there were five tickets sold worth $1 million apiece and one ticket worth $2 million. All right. We turn now to a pivotal development at the double murder trial of disgraced South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch. The judge ruling that the jury will be allowed to hear evidence about Murdoch's alleged financial crimes, a key component of the prosecution's case. NBC's Katie Beck has been following the trial force. She joins us from outside that courthouse there in Walterboro. Katie, good morning. 
Good morning, Craig. This was definitely a big win for the prosecution. The jury has not been present for the past two days. To hear that witness testimony about how Alec Murdoch allegedly had been stealing money for years, prosecutors say this evidence speaks directly to his motive. A pivotal ruling in the double murder trial of former attorney Alec Murdoch. Proof of it is essential to complete the story. Judge Clifton Newman making the highly anticipated decision that the jury can hear evidence of Murdoch's alleged financial crimes. I find that it is so intimately connected with and explanatory of the crime charged under the theory of the state. Prosecutors arguing Murdoch killed his wife Maggie and son Paul in an attempt to gain sympathy and distract from his suspected financial misdeeds. The defense saying they've got you know a whole lot more evidence about financial misconduct than they have about a murder. Murdoch already facing dozens of separate charges related to financial crimes, including conspiracy, fraud and theft of about eight and a half million dollars. He doesn't want me to have access to his accounts. The jury heard from attorney Mark Tinsley, who represents the family of Mallory Beach. Beach was killed in a 2019 boating accident where Murdoch's son Paul was charged with drunk driving in the incident. Tinsley says he brought a civil case naming Alec Murdoch and attempted to gain access to his finances. You had uh, been told by the defense essentially that Alec had no money, correct? He's broke. I knew that. The only way that he could be broke is that money had been hidden. A hearing on whether a judge would compel Murdoch to turn over his accounts was scheduled to take place three days after the murders. Another key witness Monday, Shelly Smith, a caretaker for Murdoch's mother. She says she saw Alec the night of the murders when he came to visit his mom, something she says he did rarely at night. An emotional Smith also recalling three days after the murders, he returned and made a point of telling her how long he had been at the house the night of the murders. He said, someone asked you, I mean, 30 to 40 minutes, that's what he said. Smith also said on the stand that that conversation made her extremely nervous because she recalls Murdoch only being there about 20 minutes that night. The jury will come back in this morning and start to hear that financial evidence for the first time. Craig. Katie Beckforce there in South Carolina. Katie, thank you. Let's dig into the trial a little bit more with NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. Laura, good morning. Before, some of this testimony was riveting and mm-hmm. perhaps damaging to the defendant here, but this legal issue that's now been resolved where the judge has said, yes, some evidence of prior financial crimes can come into the trial and be heard by the jury. How big is that? So at first glance, I think this ruling seems pretty problematic uh, for the defense. Obviously, they want to do everything they can to keep it out. They did not win that. But I don't actually think it's fatal to the defense. And here's why. The prosecution actually needs to be really disciplined and tailored with how they introduce this, or else you risk the jury getting bored or confused Mm. or trying to figure out why are we talking about all these financial misdeeds Mm. in a murder trial. So I think they need to figure out a way to introduce it and carefully. I also think the defense can just simply appeal to common sense. Something along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, does it really make sense that this lawyer, this loving father who had no history of domestic violence, would go on to commit such grisly crimes because he wanted to distract from his financial mis- misdeeds and his financial woes? That just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. So I think they're gonna, you're going to see this play out in closing arguments a lot, but they're going to they need to make it very tailored. Mm-hmm. That witness, Shelley Smith, who took the stand, the caregiver who said that Alec Murdoch basically 
basically said, hey, by the way, remember, I was here for this amount of time when she said he was actually there for a shorter amount of time. And I think there was even some testimony that he sort of inferred that he was going to pay for a wedding. Yes. How crucial was her testimony? Pay for a wedding, something they had never talked about before. She was so disturbed by the conversation. She goes on to call her brother in law enforcement because she's so shaken. And you can see yesterday she's crying. She's visibly saying, you know, this was a good family. Essentially, I wish I wasn't in this position, but she's providing critical testimony because essentially the jury heard that he was trying to manufacture an alibi if they believe her. And she has every reason to seem pretty credible. Mm -hmm. Laura, let's talk about the jury for a second. Uh, As Katie pointed out, they're coming back in today. You've, You've had some pretty interesting observations about the manner in which the evidence is being presented to the jury. What do you make of it? It feels confusing. It feels disjointed. There's no clear chronological timeline. And so it's, it seems like at some point soon, we're now on week three, at some point soon they have to bring this home and make it all make sense mm-hmm. for them. Because right now they're hearing everything from financial issues, right. Bank of America, to also a blue mm-hmm. raincoat. They have to make it make sense. You've got to connect the dots. Exactly. Yeah. Laura, thank you very much. Sure. All right. Still ahead here on a Tuesday morning, an important new warning on lithium-ion batteries found in countless homes, our eye-opening look at the potential dangers of those batteries and why firefighters say they actually need more training to deal with them. But first, Jacob Soberoff has made his way to the site of Super Bowl 57. Hey, Jacob. I am a lucky guy, Hoda. Things are already heating up out here. I got to talk to just about everybody yesterday, Hertz, Mahomes, and the Kelsey brothers. They told me the secret recipe in those cookies that their mom baked them that's going to be fueling them doing the Super Bowl. I'll tell you more about it coming up right after this, guys. Stick around. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat. Set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go. You are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet. Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators. Now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. back, everybody. Okay, Savannah had to leave a little early. She's got Washington's A State of the Union. She'll yes. be covering that. But, Craig, this is a real closely watched event we're talking about. We're talking about Super Bowl number 57. Big game just a few days yeah. away. Hold a copy. And ahead of Sunday's epic battle between the Chiefs and Eagles, the festivities in Arizona have officially kicked into high gear with an event that's really like no other. I don't know how Super Bowl opening night. Well, I don't know how Soboroff got this one. But Jacob Soboroff joins us now. He's in Glendale. Jacob, good morning. I begged is the answer, Hoda, and it was so cool to be here. The teams were getting along uh, great, and actually it is the first and last time that the Chiefs and the Eagles will all be in the same building until the big game coming up on this Sunday. Overnight, the countdown to Super Bowl 57 officially kicked off. With the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles arriving in Arizona for opening night. The next time that the Chiefs and the Eagles players will all be inside the same building will be on Sunday. 
A major focus ahead of kickoff, the history-making matchup between quarterbacks Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, the first black starting QBs to face off for the Lombardi Trophy. How does it feel to make history? Now that's big-time history. That's big-time history. It's a proud moment. 27-year-old Mahomes and 24-year-old Hurts, also the youngest quarterbacks to clash in Super Bowl history. Are you looking to the older QBs for advice, or are you just doing your own thing? Well, I've talked to Tom. Now that he's retired, I mean, retired, we'll see. Um, Maybe he'll give me a little bit more of the secret advice. And then there are the brothers preparing to battle it out. The Eagles' Jason Kelsey and the Chiefs' Travis Kelsey will be the first siblings to ever compete in the same Super Bowl. And thousands of fans have even signed a petition to get their mom, Donna, to perform the honorary pregame coin toss. For now, though, she's baking her boys' favorite cookies ahead of the big game. What kind of cookies are in there? Oh, yeah, a little chocolate chip, and she, she does it both, the white chocolate and the dark chocolate. You have them here? Uh, no, I, put, I, I got them stored away. They'll be my fuel for the Super Bowl. Uh, Win or lose, Jason might need to call a postgame audible. His wife, Kylie, is 38 weeks pregnant with their third child. If the baby comes during the game, what is the plan? I, I think we got to figure that out. We haven't figured out a plan yet. There's even some history happening on the sidelines. Chiefs head coach Andy Reid is set to face his former team in the Eagles, where he spent 14 years. You talk to them before the game, or you stick to your own team? Well, you can't talk to them by rule. So uh, we do it through mental telepathy. And now with five days left until Sunday night showdown, fans are fired up. As the number one seeds in the AFC and NFC face off in the Super Bowl and try to dominate in the desert. Oh, that looks like it was a lot of fun, <laughs> Mr. Sobroff. Jacob, two other big names on everyone's yeah. mind. Rihanna, Tom Brady. Uh, uh, what's, what's the word on them? I was looking for them both. They were eating, either hiding from me or not ready to uh, come out and make their Super Bowl debut yet. Rihanna is going to show up on Thursday. She's going to give an interview, talk about uh, the much-anticipated performance. And then Tom Brady, I guess we're not going to see him at this Super Bowl. After all, he said in a recent podcast that the first time we're going to hear him as an analyst on Fox is going to be in 2024 in the fall games, guys. Oh, okay. All right. Jacob Soboff, Glendale, Arizona with the Cush assignment all week. Are you excited about the I'm Super stoked. Bowl? I'm Are you stoked. so stoked? I'm how stoked are you? Uh, almost as stoked as my eight-year-old son, who every day. Oh. Like, how many days? How many days? It's going to be cool. It's going to be a great game, I think. And you're going. Yeah, we're you're going. You're going to the game. That's really cool. Out. All right, Mr. Roker. Well, right now, things are heating up down there in Glendale. They're heating up across the country. Richmond today, 62. That's 12 degrees above average. Cleveland, 50. 64 in Little Rock. Kansas City, 11 degrees warmer at 50 degrees. Tomorrow, that makes its way to the east. Boston, 48. 68 in Richmond. Knoxville, 62. Indianapolis, 13 degrees av- above average. And then temperatures start to cool down, but closer to normal. You'll see by Saturday, 39 in Portland, 46 in New York City on Saturday, Cincinnati, 37 after a high on Thursday of 62 degrees. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al. Uh, thanks. Still ahead. Ticketmaster put to the test as pre-sale begins for Beyonce's world tour. How they're handling the overwhelming demand and what it means for you if you're looking for seats. But first, these messages... <laughs> 